Amazing. Well, we're going to be in uh, 1 Samuel 21, 1 Samuel 21. So if you have a Bible uh, or if you're on your app, now's a good time to uh, reach for it. It will also be on the screen um, behind me as we go through. Um, if I've not made before, I probably haven't, loads of not, just loads of new faces, which is lovely. Um, my name's Stu. Me and my wife and four kids come to ENC, and um, we've been coming for a couple of years, and we just want to say thank you. We've been so blessed by your friendship and your kindness and your encouragement. I know many of you would have served at the four o'clock with the kids. Thank you for just being amazing people. Um, my son's hitting like 14, just getting to the age where he'll just stop listening to me and he'll be looking for other people to listen to. And so I thank God, honestly, for those of you who are kind to him particularly, but also the others as well. So we're so blessed to be part of ENC. So um, thank you very much indeed. Um, we've been going through this series and so far, we've seen two characters emerge more than any other. Those two characters were David and Saul. So David, very famous hero of the Old Testament, a wonderful um, example in many ways. And we've been seeing him making good choices. Um, and he's known famously for being a man after God's own we all know that, right? He's like hero of the story. And he's, we've had the Goliath moment. We all love the Goliath moment, don't we? Like giant slaying. I grew up sporting Bristol Rovers. So anything where it's like giant killing, upset, under-resourced against the big teams, it's like, yes. So David is the Goliath slaying hero. And from a Christian perspective, of course, we love to think of, don't we? One small person rejected by everybody else, but with faith in God can do things that others thought were not possible. We love that, don't we? We're like, yes, faith, David, you're the hero. You're amazing. I want to be like you. And of course, the other character um, who we've seen come to the, the fore, of course, has been Saul. Now, Saul is those who people would want to be king if you judge by outward appearance, right? So we're superficial. That's what the scriptures say. We're superficial if we like Saul. But if we like David, we're really onto a winner. And Saul is on his demise. Um, Saul is making mistakes. Saul is now hunting David. He wants to kill him. He's thrown a spear at him. And he looks like he's kind of losing his mind. So David, the promised king, Saul, the current king. And we've got this tension as David's being promoted. And then we get to today's passage. And we're going to see as we look into the heart of the man who's a man after God's own heart. And we're going to see what's there in a deeper and perhaps more um, interesting way, maybe. So this is how we're going to do it tonight. We're going to do um, two scenes. If I can have the next slide, please. It'd be great. We're going to do scene one, scene two, then some application. We're just going to walk through the text. Um, we're going to talk it through as we go. And then we're going to make some application at the end. So let's go into scene one. Can we? And we'll start on verse 21. So let's read together, shall we? Verse 21. Uh, David went to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. Ahimelech trembled when he met him and asked, Why are you alone? Why is there no one with you? Um, we can see on the map behind me that this is David's kind of escape from Saul, but he's not gone very far. Um, the sort of zoomed-in map on the left shows it's like less than 5K. So if you've ever done couch to 5K and done the 5K, he's like within range. Um, Rich, Kelly, the beast on a bike, 5K for you on your bike is what? 10 minutes. 10 minutes. He's coming after you. Um, so he's not very far away. He's very much within reach. He's not at safety. But he seems to have made a good choice on the surface of it because he's gone to Nob, which apparently is the city of priests. This is like a holy place. This is where people go who are devoted to God and to God's law and to God's ways. So David goes there, and it seems like a really good move. But he goes to eliminate the priest, and the priest trembled. 
And commentators are kind of, they made different um, proposals really as to why he trembled. Um, it seems like Halimelech didn't really know what was going on, but has a royal person before him who's just on his own. So maybe, I don't know, if Prince William just arrived in your life, in a church maybe, and he was just hungry and alone, you might be like, this, this doesn't work, like, this, this isn't right. This is like God's anointed king, and he should not be in this place. So Halimelech trembles with fear. So let's see how David answers him. Verse 2. David answered Ahimelech the priest, the king sent me, uh, sent me on a mission and said to me, no one is to know anything about the mission I'm sending you on. As for my men, I have told them to meet me at a certain place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves or whatever you can find. Um, this response should shock the reader because so far in the narrative we've got David being established as being a hero who we might emulate and might follow and might trust in to do something significant for God's people but here if we can have the next slide he tells three lies in like one verse the king sent me on a mission no he didn't He's running for his life. The king said to me, it's a secret mission. No, he didn't. The mission doesn't exist. And my men, I've told them to meet me. There, there were no men meeting David. He just seems to be hungry. And he seems to be desperate. And uh, one commentator said that uh, David was a man of faith and courage, yet both now fail him. This is like not a good moment for David. This is not a good moment. Let's see how the priest responds, verse 4. But the priest answered David, I don't have any ordinary bread on hand. However, there is some consecrated bread here, provided the men have kept themselves from women. Verse 5, David replied, Indeed. Women have been kept from us, as usual, whenever I set out. The men's bodies are holy, even on missions that are not holy. How much more today? Lots can be said about the priests and the administration of the bread, etc., etc. And people draw out the idea that mercy should uh, trump ceremony, which is a really good thing to, to, to look at. But today I just want us to follow David's response and how he, how he speaks, because here he seems to be... Um, Continuing his lies, so if we have the next slide, I've just underlined it for you, provided the men, like, there were no men. And we've been holy on a mission that doesn't exist. What is David doing here? It's so confusing. David seems to be determined to continue his narrative, but let's keep reading and see what happens. So the priest gave him the consecrated bread, since there was no bread there except the bread of the presence that had been removed from before the Lord had replaced uh, and by hot bread on the day that it was taken. Verse 7. Now one of Saul's servants was there that day, detained before the Lord. He was Doag, the Edomite, Saul's chief shepherd. Um, Chloe and I have just watched Lord of the Rings through again. Uh, we just finished it the other day, which was like, isn't it amazing? The last bit. I think we even watched the extended version. So there's all sorts of bits. But we've not seen that bit before. We haven't seen that bit before. Um, it's intense, though, isn't it? It's really intense. What's what are the screeching? You know, the guys. The, 
isn't it, whenever the sound changes, you're just like, no, here they come. Or like when Frodo's sword turns blue, you're like, orcs, quick, do something. And I think this is what's going to happen when you read verse 7. Doag was there. You're going to go, oh dear. Saul is hunting David and his chief shepherd is there. And David feels the danger. David is like, I'm with Elimelech and Doeg is here. This is not good. So what does David do as the music changes and the tension increases? Verse 8, David asks Elimelech, don't you have a spear or a sword here? I haven't brought my sword or any other weapon because the king's mission was urgent. Verse 9, the priest replied, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, is here. It is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you want it, take it. There is no sword here but that one. David said, there is none like it. Give it to me. The sword of Goliath. From the moment where David, with just a few smooth stones and faith, took out the Philistine monster. What a moment. And now we have him caught up in deception, on the run, desperate, ironically taking Goliath's sword of all things. And surely the author here has put it as like an ironic symbol. Look what's happened to David. Look how he is falling. And just in case you're not clear on this catastrophic moment. David has an opportunity here to look after the priest and make sure everything's okay, but he doesn't. He arms himself and then he leaves. Saul finds out, I don't want to steal the thunder of the forthcoming speakers, but Saul finds out that David was there. He goes there and Doeg slaughters 85 priests and then slaughters women and children and animals. Like, David should have done something and later reflects, their blood is on my hands. I knew something was going to happen. This is like catastrophic leadership. This is like, if you found out a bit of the story about any political leader, you'd be like, and we can never trust them again. This is like, not good. This is not good. And that's scene one and it's not good. So let's have a look at scene two, shall we? Let's move on to scene two. Scene two. So let's, we'll pick this up in verse 10. Pick this up in verse 10. Uh, that day, David fled from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. Does anyone know who Achish, the king of Gath, is? Leader of guess who? The Philistines. What? David, what are you doing? He's obviously desperate. He's obviously got nowhere else to go. And now he goes to the Philistine leader. And some commentators speculate to say, maybe David went there to be like an anonymous mercenary. Maybe to like go there to find safety, to, to kind of get under the radar and just do something different, to get away from all the sort of problems behind him. You can see on the map uh, behind me, he's gone a bit further this time. So he's gone outside of King Saul's uh, territory as far as Gath. But, verse 11... The servants of Achish said to him, Isn't this David, the king of the land? Isn't he the one they sing about in their dances? Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. 
Isn't this the Philistine slayer? And what's he carrying? Goliath's sword. Like, this is not going well for David. David has been exiled to some degree by the Jewish leadership under Saul, and he's now surrounded by his enemies carrying the sword of Goliath. I've got a couple of colleagues um, who are military men. Uh, one of them, uh, who I teach with, kind of uh, limps around school because he had his leg blown off by an IED, uh, tours of Iraq and Afghanistan. And I have another friend who talks to me about doing um, unarmed tours to try and um, get to know people and, and kind of uh, live and build bridges in places where things are really, really difficult. Um, and I just can't imagine what it'd be like for me as, <laughs> as a teacher, being like behind enemy lines, you know? Like, it, for me, I'm like, that is, that is mad. But what would you want from David here? This, like, he's killed tens of thousands. He's slain Goliath. Like, if my friends were reading this verse, like, what do you want David to do? Like, he's on his own. What sort of faith is he going to have? What kind of courage is he going to muster? What sort of impact is he going to have? What sort of heroic moment are we now going to get from David? Well, let's keep reading. Verse 12. It's not a good indicator. Verse 12. David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. It's not good. David's faith seems to have evaporated, and now fear has him. So what does he do? Verse 13. So he pretended to be insane in their presence. And while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the door of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. What? Uh, has anyone ever seen, I mean, I, people pretending to be insane. I've, I don't have ever, Blackadder's like the closest I've come, you know? You know, like the, the, the last episode of Blackadder, if you haven't seen it, it's like set in World War I, they're about to go over the top, they're like, we don't know what to do, we're all going to die, let's pretend to be insane, see if we can get out of it, because that's what some British soldiers seem to do in the Battle of the Somme. It's comic, it's tragic, it's terrible, it's an absolute last resort. This is the sort of thing that David seems to have done here. And the beard thing, culturally, is like the most humiliating thing you can do. I don't know if it's like he sort of wets himself or soils himself, like it's like really low. It is like he has gone really low, really low. But it seems to work. It seems to work. So verse 14, uh, Akesh said to his servants, look at the man, he's insane. Why bring him to me? Am I so short of madmen that you must uh, bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? Must this man come into my house? So it's kind of worked, and, and David has been surrounded from his enemies, and now he escapes, and, and the next place he goes to is a cave. And if you know the Old Testament well, you'll know that cave is kind of synonymous sometimes with death. So in this chapter, 21, you get this arc of David has had leadership catastrophe. He's deceived the priests. He's gone to the Philistines. He seems to have done something humiliating, and then he's gone to death, metaphorically, by going to the cave. This is like a, a descent of David. So when I got this passage that I was going to preach on from John, I was like, oh, this is going to be so chirpy and inspiring. <laughs> And lovely. And it actually ends there. So that's the end of uh, today's reading. And I have to be honest with you, as I was kind of reading it through, I, I was wondering, like, why, why this is here? Like, this is God's word. 
Like, why did David do it? And why did they record it? And like, what's going on here? Why is this hero so flawed and broken? And here's he really the one to carry the hope of Israel. Surely get rid of this guy. Like, Saul's gone, now David, get, surely start again. You know, one of the first books of the Bible that I ever read was Mark's Gospel. I like Mark's Gospel. It's punchy, isn't it? To the point, to the point, to the point, to the point. Um, and some people think that Peter was the main source for Mark's Gospel, which means that Mark would have gone to Peter and said, tell me about Jesus, tell me about what happened. So just speculate with me an editorial meeting between Mark and Peter. Mark's got some stories, he's collated them together, and he wants to run them by Peter to make sure that he's happy because this book is going to be the best-selling book in human history every year for like ever. This is going to get circulated across the world and translated into loads of different languages. Peter, I want you to be sure about what's going in here. Okay. So, Peter, do you remember you saw the vision of Jesus? Oh, yeah. The transfiguration. Oh, it was just amazing. Yeah. And then you said to Jesus, shall I build these tents, these altars? Do you remember? <laughs> yeah, I remember that, yeah. And Jesus said, you were completely wrong. Yeah. Shall I leave that bit out, Peter? No, I think um, you better put it in. You better put it in. Okay, is that all? No, Peter. Um, Peter, in your letter, you're going to write to people that humility is absolutely key for the Christian life. But I've got the story of when you were arguing with the disciples over who was the best. Take that in or leave it out. Okay, you better put that one in as well. Is that all? No, that's not all, no. Um, do you remember when Jesus was teaching and the kids came up and you were like, keep the kids from Jesus? And Jesus was, I think it's fair to say, indignant. Do you mind me using the word indignant? Yeah, okay, put it, he was, he was pretty mad. He was pretty mad, you better put it in. Okay, cool. Is that it? No. Okay. Do you remember when Jesus asked you to pray and I fell asleep? Yeah. Do you mind if that goes in? Yeah, okay, that can go in as well. And this one's a bit difficult, Peter. Are you ready for this one? Do you remember when you were questioning God's plan and Jesus said to you, get behind me, Satan? I mean, those were his words, not mine. Are you all right with that going in? Okay, yeah, stick it in. Stick it in. Stick it in. Is that all? Yeah, that's it from me. Uh, but John wants a word. <sighs> what does John want to talk about? Uh, your denial. Zzz. And then you might run into a guy called Paul. He wants to talk about your racial prejudice. Our cathedral's named after this guy. Like, what? Why is it there? I think in that coffee, at some point, Peter's going to say to Mark, listen, you have to understand, in my success and in my failure, I'm trying to point to someone else. I'm trying to point to someone else. And when I do well, it glorifies him. When I don't, it shows his kindness and his love and his patience. And I want my story to point to someone else. Warts and all. And so here in this text, we have David exiled by the Jewish leaders to some degree with the Philistines surrounding him. But we're going to have another king 
who I think David's trying to point us to, and I think this is why this is here, another king who would also be exiled from the Jewish leaders, but this time surrounded not by Philistines, but by Romans. And when David was under pressure, he begins to lie and bear false witness. But another king would come, and the New Testament would say that no deceit was found in his mouth. And David pretended to be insane. Like, that could have been the last thing that he did. David, surrounded by his enemies, and pretended to be insane, and then he got killed. But there was another king coming who would be killed. And his last words were, into your hands I commit my spirit. Beautiful integrity. Breathtaking faith. So I think the reason why Peter has all his flaws in the New Testament and we have this narrative on David, and why you and I, maybe, are like still Christians. Because although we're flawed, we know someone who wasn't. We know someone who wasn't. We know someone who was just stunning in everything they did. The light of the world. The one who would turn the Roman Empire upside down in a non-violent approach, which has changed the whole of civilization. And I think maybe Peter would say, as he does in his letter, that it's very important what we hope in. And he would say, I want to help people, but I want to help people by encouraging them to hope through the resurrection, the living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Because our hope as Christians isn't actually in good leadership. Our hope as Christians isn't that David is amazing. It's that David points to someone who is amazing. And that Peter follows someone who is amazing. And that we, you and I, we know someone who is amazing. And though you and I might be flawed, and we try, don't we? I try. Do you try? I try. Get some stuff right, some stuff wrong. But we don't stand on our own stuff. We stand on him in his perfection, which he gives to you freely and wonderfully. Isn't it amazing? Isn't Christianity like... Nothing else you've ever heard of. He's so kind. He's so kind. And I don't know about you, but if you've been a Christian for any length of time at all, you will have been disappointed by people. You would have wanted more from people. You'd have hoped for more from people. Maybe more help, maybe more time, maybe more advice. And you'd have been disappointed. Maybe wounded. Maybe bruised. But I think this is here to remind us again that though we might get bruised, we don't have to be broken and we're disappointed, but we don't have to despair. And it, we might get wounded, but it doesn't have to be fatal because in the end, our weight-bearing hope is on Jesus. And he alone can carry us. And he wants to carry us. And this last verse here, I think... It's just such a wonderful reminder, if we can have the last slide. It's in his great mercy, his great kindness, his undeserved kindness to you and to me and to David. Like, David didn't deserve it. I know that he had faith. I know that he trusted, but he didn't deserve it. It was, it was mercy, right? God is merciful. He gives love and kindness where it's not deserved. He did it to David. He did it to Peter. He did it all through the New Testament. He did it to Paul. He's done it for 2,000 years across the world. It's crazy. Grace, grace, grace. Mercy, mercy, mercy. Keep going, keep going. I love you. I'm with you. I'm for you. I'm changing you. Even when, and it's, I, I, honestly, this text, I can't believe it. Even when people die 
in the wake of mistakes. God picks up people and says, I'm still with you. My resurrection power will not be held by your error. Come on, keep walking, keep trusting. It's about me, not you. And so therefore, I wonder if tonight, and I'm going to close to pray uh, in just one moment. I wonder if tonight this really for us is about like a hope check, you know, like a hope check. Like what are we resting in? What are we standing on? Um, And I don't know about you, but I feel like it's important for me to remind myself I'm, I'm not hoping in myself, you know. Like I don't have to be, I don't have to be, I don't have to nail life. Do you know that? I'm free. I can do some things well, some things not so well, and I'm standing in God's mercy, the resurrection love, and his kindness, the new birth. I'm a new person in him. And if you're in Christ, you are too. And you can stand on him tonight, and we can celebrate, and we can rejoice, and we can anticipate one day where all things will be made new, because evil has no future, and God is on the move, and we can rejoice with that together wherever we are. Uh, So let me just pray briefly, and then Naomi will take us forward. Uh, Lord, we thank you for uh, your word. We thank you for the warts and all stories of people that you loved and used and were partnering with. But more than anything, we thank you for Jesus tonight. And we say, Lord, lead us, help us, show us what it is to have living resurrection hope through your son, Jesus. Pray for that in his wonderful name. Amen.